At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 497th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who provides organic, non-GMO, and soy-free chicken feed to local backyard farmers. We're talking with Scott Brown about chicken feed co-ops. Scott is just a guy who started a chicken feed co-op to save money on eggs. He organized Phoenix Organic Feed, Flour, and Grain as a local buying club to get organic chicken feed at reasonable prices. Plus, as an added bonus, he can specify which ingredients go into his premium USDA-certified organic grains, feeds, and flours. Phoenix Organic Feed, Flour, and Grain is a local supplier of organic, non-GMO chicken feed serving Phoenix and Tucson. Welcome to the show today, Scott. Are you ready to rock chicken feed? Yes. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, it kind of started, it wasn't intended. It was kind of an accidental start, but I had a little boy who was about three or four, and my, my parents lived down the street not too far from where I was, and the idea was like, well, I, let's start a chicken coop, and the kids can take the eggs around in a radio flyer wagon and go sell eggs up and down nice. the street. It'll be this wholesome thing. We'll teach them business principles. We'll have the expense of the feed, and then we'll have this inventory of eggs, and we'll calculate income, and, you know... I assumed I'd make a profit <laughs> anyway, which isn't really what eggs are for. But anyway, that's kind of how it started. And so once I bought the chickens and I went to pick up the feed, I figured there'd just be an organic bag next to the, you know, Purina bag. And there wasn't. The, the feed store guy kind of laughed. He's like, organic? We wouldn't feed our chickens organic. These these chickens, these aren't wild chickens. These are domestic birds. They need antibiotics. Otherwise, they'd get sick. And, oh, my gosh. And I, I was kind of like, wow, okay. And I was kind of, I had climbed on the organic bus a little bit, probably when, when the boy was conceived, so three, four years earlier. So I'm just eating completely organic for myself, and I just figured I'd do that with the chickens. Anyway, so we got on there, and his resistance as a feed store owner, really kind of shocked me. And I was like, wow, this guy, he's kind of a country boy though, feel. So I'm like, okay, but maybe he's just selling because he doesn't think I care enough about organic or something. So I started looking around and I, I found other feed stores that had it, but it was pretty expensive. And uh, once the eggs were coming and were feeding chickens, I started looking around for cheaper feed just because at $48 for a 50 pound bag, 
That's crazy. Getting a dozen eggs is costing, you know, a lot of money. More, way more than, you know, organic free-range eggs at Trader Joe's or, or Whole Foods or any of the, you know, kind of organic egg places. And so I was like, wow, I, I think the only component, once you build your coop and you have your chickens, your only input is feed, mostly. So he said, if I can get that down, I think I can afford to have organic eggs. So that's how it started. And then I started contacting people like, hey, I want to buy. And picked up a lot of resistance trying to not go retail. They would just push me off to, oh, go check these people. And how much are we talking? And I was like, well, I don't know. How much is your minimum? Because to me, in those times, 300 pounds was a lot of feed, right. you know, I thought. But of course, it's not at all. So they wanted a full pallet or 2,500 pounds. And I'm, I'm, I'm there with my four chickens going, <laughs> huh, how long will that last? Yeah. And, and of course, that's like a 10-year supply or something. So Valley Permaculture Alliance, which I think has renamed itself. Do you happen to know the name of it now? Uh, uh, yeah, they call it Trees Matter. It's, they're no longer doing permaculture stuff there. Okay, so... They, they were kind of a, a big, nice nonprofit in the Valley that I heard about. And so I, I started a little post on their website and a lot of people chimed in. I said, hey, is anyone interested in organic feed? Maybe we can pool our volume together and get to, you know, uh, 2,500 pounds. And several people said, yeah, I'd do it. And enough said it. So then I, I said, well, how much do you want? And one would say, well, I'll take, you know, 200 pounds. And someone else wanted 100 and... So it took a while in, on this blog, but eventually enough people chimed in about a month later where we could get our feed. But I, I couldn't do just one month supply. It had to be two months, so we made it a two-month thing. Well, if we buy two months for everyone, then your 200 turns into 400, and then we're hitting it. And so that's kind of right from the beginning how it started. And so we ordered it, and I had to just go to someone's house who happened to have a forklift because that saved us 100 bucks right. by having the forklift. And so then we all went and picked it up, and we're all happy, and two months later... Everyone was like, so are we going to do that again? And uh, <laughs> they, they asked me before I ran out even. So I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, by the way, I told my friend because we're saving some money and she's hoping she can buy too. And I said, I think so. As long as we get to, we need to get a whole pallet for it to make sense. And so we did. We got to uh, three pallets, as a matter of fact, on the second one. Enough people chimed in on the little VPA site, Valley Permaculture Alliance, and it just kind of went. And I thought, wow, this is good. You know, I'm getting my feed now at, and I'm saving, you know, it's probably 30, 40% is what it was. And yeah. so uh, it just kind of unfolded that way. And then two months later we did it and we got to five pallets and it just grew quickly. So that, I mean, that was kind of how it went. And so we've been doing it. That was 2000, December, 2011 was the first one. And we're coming up to December 2019. So it's been eight years. Wow. Um, Congratulations. And yeah, it's, it's gone. It's grown quickly. I ended up building a website, trying to do like a lead capture system so people who want to join can just input their email. It's great. You know, so that's, that's kind of how it started. And as, as I do it, did it, I, you know, anytime there was a problem, I made sure I reimbursed people. And the goal was like, oh, wow, you know, if, if I could get my feed for free, <laughs> that would be amazing, you know? Right. And so, because I'm, it became cumbersome, of course, once you're talking to truckers and trying to organize things. And, and now you've got, you know, a hundred people coming to pick up feed. There's a lot of like, okay, I'll email them. And, and initially I was using Google Docs instead of the website and things like that. So, but I, I just kind of evolved. And now I've got the website, which still is a little bit not, not optimized. I can do better. And I hope to do that in the near future. But yeah, so we, we got a full truck. So we import about 44,000 pounds every two months. Wow. And several hundred people come and just grab feed. 
every two months. And we got regulars. We have a lot of people who come and go. So it's it's great, though. The, the bottom line, though, I, I'll say with, as in terms of superlative is I do have the lowest price organic feed in the Phoenix area. No question. I don't think anyone can do it just yep. because I'm barely making any money and I don't have I'm not paying rent for a storefront. And, you know, right. And I've worked out with there's three major uh, helpers, which definitely deserve note. And that is uh, Treeland Nursery. Uh, they allow us to to have the truck come in and they use, they allow us, they don't let me drive the forklift. They unload the feed for oh, us nice. and I cover it. Yep. And so there's no cost for the forklift. Barrage Nursery does the exact same thing. The truck shows up, the forklift guy unloads it and they don't charge us anything. And, and the basic thing is, is I kind of went in and said, well, they want to help the community, you know, right. obviously, but at the same time, I, I also wanted to like say thank you to them, but you know, nothing says thank you better than money. So I, I do urge the people who order seeds through us, if they do have any gardening needs, meaning they're going to buy seeds or soil or, mm-hmm. you know, even gardening tools or something. Most of you who have chickens tend to have gardens. So say, hey, if you can and you're in need, please go buy something. Yeah, exactly. There, so that is a kind of thank you. And feel free to just mention, hey, I'm just checking out my feed, but I thought I'd grab this basil starter or this tree or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so that's been nice. So you're um, collaborating a lot with the nurseries and providing a really nice service. Yes. Yeah. And the so Barrage Nursery, I've, I've actually worked at Barrage Nursery in, I think, 2003. And a couple of years, I did my fruit tree program, del- delivery program through Barrage Nursery. So I know they're real fun and easy to work with. Yeah, they're great. Christine there is, uh, is great. And then Don Waldemeyer at Treeland. And we have a third location that isn't a nursery. It's Blue Sky Organic Farms. Oh, yes. In Litchfield Park. Yep. And they, uh, I know they supply a lot of organic ingredients to Whole Foods for the deli section. And, and a lot of people just go there for stuff. So they're, they're a great farm. And they have a forklift. And so the same thing happens there. So we kind of got a West Valley, an East Valley, and a Central location for people to pick up. The idea is to make it more convenient than just have everyone come to Phoenix or one location. Right. Well, that's just, it makes it super convenient for everyone. It was convenient as can be. Probably to speak about the downside of, you know, obviously it should be honest, full disclosure. What is probably the hardest part about being part of our co-op is it's not like you run out of feed and you just go down to my storefront and pick up a bag yep. the downside is you got to kind of think ahead and think a little it. bit like a costco shopper maybe yep. right yeah where you're getting bulk and it's two months worth so how much does your chicken eat and of course if you run out accidentally short one bag you can't just go down you gotta you want to have kind of an extra bag or two at all times in case something happens somehow your chickens eat more suddenly or mice show up and eat half your bag or something <laughs> you know you don't want to be in a tight spot that's probably the biggest challenge so nice uh, so let's just step back i want to first of all i want to really sure. acknowledge you for this program i absolutely love 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 what you're doing and i've told you that before I've been buying from you for years and yeah. it does take some planning. So how does the system work? Tell our listeners how this system works. Ooh, the system. So basically I have an email list. So if someone wanted to be part of this, they would go to the website, phoenixorganicfeed.com. And on almost every page, halfway down is a sign up form. And basically 
It's your name, email, phone number if you like. Basically, all I use is the email, though. So I take the email and just send it out to everyone. So I've got well over a 1,000 people on the list. Nice. And I send those out. And uh, it's just a reminder to say, hey, if you wanted to take part in this organic feed coming up, it's and I usually say the October delivery. Of, of course, December delivery is coming up. So it just says, if you want to be part of December 19th delivery, which will be on a very specific date, it's always the third Saturday of the month mm-hmm. is when the feed comes in. But we order a month ahead. So we always, I send out the email on the 15th of the month. So it'd be November 15th, for example, we go out December 25th The is the deadline for that in terms of the order, placing the order, and payment. So it's a pre-order and pre-pay system, which is, of course, not everyone's favorite, especially if they just met me through a website online. Like, right. who's this guy I'm sending money to? But, but I'm generally, gonna, you know... I'm going to jump in here real go. quick. I, I've been buying from you for years, and I've always been ecstatically happy. It's uh, fun to come down. You know me. I come down, and we hang out on Saturdays for an hour or so. I help load feed, and, you know, we just have fun. And so with Scott, you don't have to worry. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, prepaying for a feed, just do it. He's really in integrity about it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and there are, you know, you, I don't think you've ever had a mix-up, but, but occasionally mix-ups do happen. Of course. And someone will have ordered a feed and someone comes and takes the wrong type of feed. So that maybe if you got a specialty feed, that ten, tends to be where it, if you're getting, for example, late hog grower. We, we sell 41 types of feed, by the way. Wow. And it's turkeys, hogs, sheep, you know, quail and chickens, obviously, goat, cow. And then we've got also food grade products. So grains, usually these certain wheats. I've got, I think, four, I don't know, seven types of wheats. And then we also have those same wheats ground up into flour. We have kamut wheat and some other things. Everything's organic. We only carry organic. So that's kind of our overarching theme. Everything's organic. So the wheat is for human consumption. Yeah. Well, it's a little more expensive. So when you get a feed grade, for example, we have 50 pounds of barley that is feed grade for people. Some, a lot of people who are part of it like to sprout barley. Oh, yes. And take seven days and then feed it to their chickens. So, so the story goes roughly that if you take 50 pounds of barley and sprout it, it becomes 300 pounds of fodder. So now you've got a sprouted green grass. Wow. A lot of people like to do that. I I have done it. I don't make that part of my regular thing. I'm a little more hands-on with my chickens. I know some people treat their chickens like pets and and really take care of them. That's great, you know, but that's a really good one. But I guess my point that I'm bringing up is inside that food-grade barley, you'll have some holes, some, you know, pieces of straw. There's there's a lot more allowable debris debris, I guess, is what I would call it. It's it's plant parts, but it's not the grain that, you know, sprouts, for example. And these are whole. I think the barley's still in its hole, so it's raw, it's sproutable, all these things. Whereas when you get our other grains, they're also raw, but they've been whole, you know, so yes. the outer shell isn't there. So it's washed, I think it's triple washed. So the difference between feed grade... It, but it is more expensive to get food-grade wheat versus, you know, just cracked wheat that we would give to animals just because of the washing and, and preparation. So let's talk about the cost of chicken feed. Because I know that when we first started buying organic feed, I could buy a 50-pound bag of organic, certified organic chicken feed for right around 30 bucks. And then what I noticed, and this was maybe a decade or so ago, then what I noticed is is that the price started going up and the amount of feed in the bag 
started coming down. So you're getting less, paying more for the bag and getting less in the bag. What do you know about that? Well, yeah, I mean, this happens, I think, in the food industry in general, you know, a box of crackers even. But what what has happened is a 50-pound bag, which is where I started, and, and back then it seemed like everybody had 50-pound bags. Right. And so what's happened is is the price has either gone up. So, I, for example, I know a local shop in Phoenix sells an organic bag for $48. And it's wow. a good product. It's a nice, good organic product. There's nothing wrong with it. I wouldn't, I don't have any stones to throw at it. Yep. Except the price. Except <laughs> the price. Exactly. So my, my feed is $28. And I guess primarily most people get from me egg, chicken, chicken egg laying feed, meaning yeah. This is feed rationed, built specifically with nutritional parameters to give chickens exactly what they need to optimize the most number of eggs you can get from any bird and healthy shells so your eggs aren't breaking, things like that. So that's more than half of the volume of all the feed, even though I've got 40 types of feed. So I'm going to focus on that for the example. The layer feed, $48 for 50 pounds is, well, roughly to do the math, 96 cents a pound. Right. I've come in, I have had to raise prices when when my source of grains goes up, I pass that along, but I do have a real narrow margin. So our same 50 pound bag goes for 56 cents a pound. Nice. So, so that's $28 a bag. Pretty significant, yeah. The other thing is, is I think you had mentioned last time we were loading feed that you had bought a bag. You had run out and weren't yep. able to buy from the co-op. You bought, what was, do you recall the numbers on that? Yeah, event? I'm pretty sure it was a 35-pound bag, which surprised me that they dropped it another five pounds, and it was $36. So that's just a little over a dollar a pound. 30, okay. It's 35 pounds for 36. $6, yeah. Yeah, so I... Pricing is a huge thing. That's that's probably the number one thing that we are is we're not compromising in quality at all, but the price is very realistically lower because I don't have a storefront. I don't run a forklift. And, you know, I run this on a website in Google Docs and I email people, you know, a right. constant contact or MailChimp kind of a thing. Yep. And that's it. And I, I actually can't live on this. So I don't make enough money to be like, this is what I do. Uh-huh. I'm doing other things to, you know, feed my household and make, make it work. But this is something I believe in and it does contribute, you know, not to oh, say that yeah. it's totally zero money coming to me, but it's, I guess... I'm driven a little bit more by by bringing feed to the people. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a lot of, you know, the why is pretty a deep hole a little bit. There's a couple of reasons, but mainly the, the organic slash GMO and the idea that there's GMO corn, meaning BT corn with, with pesticide growing inside of it yep. that is in feed and also just glyphosate corn, you know, the Roundup Ready corn. Oh, yeah. So, and then the same thing with soy and canola. So all these things, I know a lot of people, it's weird because I, I might be one of the few, most people go, oh yeah, so what's bad about GMO? And, and I always have like, oh, they think I'm just like one of the guys holding the flag, walking around scared. I've actually looked at the science of the GMOs oh, yeah. and, and there's some real, real things going on. There was a study done in 2012, a French company had to do this because Monsanto won't sell their grains and seeds. Well, they don't really, they probably do make feed, but they don't sell their grains for scientists to do experiments on. So these guys had to obtain illegal corn from, from Monsanto in a very particular variety called NK603. 
And the French study did a test that I want to say was two years long. And they, they did intergenerational, and it was for rats, of course, but they did four groups. So they had a group that was not getting GMO corn, just non-GMO. Yep. Then they had a group getting GMO corn. Then they had a group getting non-GMO corn with glyphosate, okay, which is the Roundup. Roundup is glyphosate. Yep. And then they had a, a last group getting GMO corn along with glyphosate. So most of us, because Roundup-ready corn, which is most of the corn out there, is sprayed with glyphosate. So when you eat corn that isn't organic, the idea is that you're eating GMO corn, so it's a genetically modified organism that has been crossed with a bacteria that survives Roundup. That's basically, they took the genome snippets of genetic material from a bacteria and spliced it in to corn. And so now we've got GMO corn, right? Yep. And so this NK603 was this particular, and I, I don't know how many experiments they've done, but NK603 sounds like it's probably 600 or so. <laughs> so when they've done that, what they found was in all the groups, so the rats that got the most cancer were, of course, the ones that had glyphosate and, and GMOs. Yeah. They expected the glyphosate group to get more cancer too, the hypothesis was, but that probably the GMO more organism by itself, the corn without glyphosate, wouldn't really increase cancer. But what they found is that it did significantly. And of course, the control group that was just eating corn, but not GMO or had the least, of course. But so when I, when I saw that, it, it said to me, okay, because obviously we all don't want to eat glyphosate. We wouldn't sprout Roundup, spray Roundup on our food or our chicken's food on purpose, although that's exactly what is happening. But so you're kind of like shrug and you go, well, I don't know. That's just how they do it. And am I willing to pay double and all those things? But, but then to see that it's the organism itself having a little bit of traction, that was a rogue study. You know, they didn't, yeah. they didn't do it because they stole the corn from some farmer somewhere. I don't, I don't know how they obtained it, but there's a, I have that on my website. If you go to the Y Organic tab on my website, phoenixorganicfeed.com, I've got multiple videos that I've found to be insightful. I mean, and that's one of them. That's probably my favorite because it is one of the most science. There's a lot of like dissenting people out there yeah. uh, who go on no GMO type websites and say, oh, it's BS. And, and, and it's true. The, the truth is, is the experiment is the human population and, and all the, the, I don't mean human population, but the agricultural well, experiment that's being done in the U.S. Ultimately, it's the human population. Yeah. This is my big You're challenge. Eating, this is my big challenge with genetically modified stuff is that they weren't fully tested before they were publicly released. I don't know mm -hmm. whether, I don't specifically know whether genetic modification is bad or good, although I suspect it's probably not good. But my bigger problem is they just released it. They did it and released it. And now guess what? We as, you know, the human beings of the planet have to put up with the mess that's been created from it. Yeah. Cats out of the bag and, and we're all doing it. And I guess that's part of what we formulate our feed around, too. So we have zero corn in all of our feeds, zero soy. Well, I do have organic soy in the higher protein content feeds. So anything over 20% protein mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is going to require soy to hit those all high right. protein levels. Yep. Soy is a, an abnormal grain in that it is 47% protein. So when oh, you wow. get up in these high protein levels... It's, there's more protein in soy than there is in meat, for example. It's just an anomaly. That's how they hit these high levels. But soy, outside of the GMO aspect, is actually a really, really intensely bad thing. 
that isn't quite clear and it didn't become clear to me. I, I, when I started, there was one lady, I guess we'll go back here a little bit. Hopefully this isn't too much of a tangent. There's one lady right in the beginning, first order. She was on the VPA, the Valley Permaculture Alliance. She said, oh, well, I'll, I'll join your group. I'll take a few hundred pounds, but it has to be soy free. And I said, well, this is organic soy. So it's not, it's not been sprayed with Roundup. So I think it's okay, right? And she said, no, absolutely not. It's not okay. Soy is bad. If you have soy in it, I won't even feed it to my chickens. Soy is horrible. Wow. And I thought, well, geez, this lady really has a strong opinion. What's, what's this about? And I said, well, can you tell me why? And of course, later I found out she's a breast cancer survivor, oh, right? Yeah. So, there you go. And, and she wrote back, this, a lot of this was text. She wrote back several paragraphs and amazing, amazing science behind soy. And here, you can look these up. I'll tell you, diazinine, genistein, and, and some other, those are two phytoestrogen phytates that occur naturally in soy. So if you're feeding that to oh. your, your birds or yourself, yeah. you're getting these things that attach to your thyroid and literally throw your hormones out of whack and they act like estrogen in the body. And so as I've d dug down deeper in this, soy acts like estrogen in the body. So the idea is that inside, as it attaches to the estrogen receptors, it mimics estrogen. And the story I've heard, and I'm no scientist, I'm not in labs doing these things, but... But you've done the research. A, a little bit, yeah. I've read about the research. And the story goes, you know how they're always curing cancer in rats, like in forks over knives and all these things? How do they, if they want to induce cancer to try and cure it, maybe not in forks over knives, that's probably a bad reference to <laughs> where the cancer, because I know they're using casein in that one. But the point is, is how they induce it, if they don't care how the rats got it, but to just see if they cure it, they give them estrogen as, the, as a precursor to cancer. And it, it really helps. Oh, so to have a, a grain like soy be introduced to your body, your physical organism, and you know it's attaching to the estrogen receptors, is it good? Is it, you know what I mean? There's some questions. And the story goes, there's, there's a book called Nourishing Traditions by, oh, geez, I can't remember the guy's name. It was oh, yeah. a dentist. Great book, Nourishing Traditions, and he goes through soy, and he talks about margarine being made from soy and how soy has come in. He talks about natto, miso, tempeh, and soy sauces, primarily in Asia, where soy kind of originated from, compared to the Western culture. It wasn't really a staple like wheat. They've always fermented soy, is mm -hmm. the story. And so that's why they have gotten along with it so well, because they usually are fermenting. They're not usually doing edamame story but of course right. you know and so now and i was a guy back then who would have been like you know what i'm gonna go dairy free i'm gonna eat soy milk or or soy based type of thing to avoid mm -hmm. meat or something like that if, if that was but now i have completely <laughs> soy is more like my kryptonite now uh, there you go so uh, out of all the food ingredients i, I avoided yeah soy. so a couple of things the nourishing traditions I just looked it up is by Sally Fallon. So uh, a, young, a young lady wrote it. Um, That's so, true. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. There's also a concept that you're touching on here that I want to call it out. It's called bioaccumulation. And you kind of referenced it a little bit. Basically, bioaccumulation is if we're feeding the things low on the food chain, all kinds of feed, any chemicals or any glyphosate bioaccumulates in those animals. And then if we eat them, then we're getting a super dose of these chemicals. Yes. So, yeah. So in the tissues and eggs yep. and products from these animals that we're feeding soy, corn, GMOs, 
there it doesn't the chicken liver doesn't filter it all out. It all comes right. in there. So now you're eating a chicken leg or whatever, and you're eating soy estrogen type things, which is well, you know, doesn't do your, seem that bad. But do your homework. little research. Yeah, do yeah. your homework exactly. So I got one more question before we want to shift. If somebody in another city outside of Arizona wanted to start one of these co-ops, what would you say to them? I would say it's not that hard. I guess hopefully if you're listening to this and you have chickens and this interests you or you have any farm animals really um, and you say, well, I'd like to pay less for my organic feed, you can do that. The key, the, the threshold, let's say, is to get to a full pallet, which is 2,500 pounds. And then it becomes kind of worth it. If you order two or three bags, it costs you know about the same price as the feed would cost. Yeah. The freight you know, nearly doubles... Or, or doubles the price. So yeah. when you get into the volume, that's where it kind of makes sense. And so a pallet I've found is a threshold for, for people who just want it to, to have a regular thing in their city. You can do that. I do ship pallets to the Western United States, Colorado, uh-huh. California tend to be the most. And so, but if someone's just got 10 chickens, for example, and they're like, Oh, I'd like to do that. Well, you don't want to get 2,500 pounds. That's a, you know, five-year supply or something like that. You know, multiple years, the grain will go bad before you can consume it all. So what I try and do is just kind of like how I did network with a few friends. You probably got into chickens because you have a friend who's into chickens or you heard about it or something. It's part of the community, maybe. So if you just create that network if it doesn't exist or, or find those people who are organic-minded and kind of backyard farmers want to raise their own food and, and be connected to their food, those are your people, you know? And, and they'll probably want the same thing. If you can all save money, it, that's how it started. I do do hog farmers are, are one of the easiest to do. So if a person's got two or three pigs and they want to feed them organic, they can order a pallet and it's no big deal because they will eat everything. There won't be any waste with two or three pigs. Whereas, you know, to do that with the chickens, you need to have like a hundred or something like that. Maybe even more than a hundred for 2,500. So if somebody's interested, they could reach out to you and have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll help. I've helped some people, a lady in Texas, you know, started one and I'm trying to help people, but a lot of times it takes some work and some follow through, of course, but yeah, exactly. uh, Excellent. Yeah. I'll share everything I have. Yeah. Excellent. So, I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. We've had uh, rain. Rain can come. So these trucks who take my feed to the three nurseries, it's one truck that usually hits all three in one day. Well, they normally don't call me back. They're supposed to call me and say, hey, I'm in town. I'm dropping this off. But sometimes they don't. And sometimes the nurseries assume that I've been in contact with the truck. And so they're just like, oh, Scott will come down any minute. But really, uh, if the trucker hasn't called me and they unload the feed, and I'm thinking, well, gee, I guess it didn't come in today, <laughs> but it did. Well, there's been a time when, when I didn't go down and cover the feed. And Arizona's usually pretty safe with the rain, but yep. one time it did rain, and it rained hard. And the, the pallets are wrapped in plastic, like kind of a saran wrap, but it's not very good. It's not enough to keep the water out. And so a lot of the feed got wet. Well, that really was not a good thing, mm-hmm. of course. <clears throat> so we lost several bags and, and some money, but also kind of my fault, I guess. Ultimately, I'm the guy who was in charge of this, and ultimately that's my inventory. And I don't want to hand out, you know, bad, wet feed to people. So we did quite a bit of reimbursements that time. And, you know, I'm sure I lost money, but at the same time, I feel like the overall you did the right structure... Thing. 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's more valuable. I mean, I'm making a little money here, but it's not about that, you know, necessarily. It's it's about keeping this going and, and helping those who care enough about their food to, to embrace it. I feel like if people understood and believed what they read about, you know, what was going on with these food ingredients with Monsanto and, and these things, they would probably, and they could afford it. I mean, there's always a price thing because my yep. feed, as cheap as it is, isn't cheaper than Monsanto's feed. You know, a bag of Purina chicken feed is going to be cheaper than my organic feed. But, you know, down at Walmart, you you can grab cheaper feed. But for those with the discerning tongue and the discerning mind to say, you know, I'm an amazing person and I deserve the best food. And and that's kind of the basis of where I start. And I think almost anyone starts when you start to go organic. You, right. You're saying, well, is it worth it an extra $100 a month to feed myself organic or 200 probably in my case? I'm kind of a food snob. And I've made the decision. It's not, it's the decisions made. I'm definitely worth it. And I do everything for my body that I can. Yeah. Uh, we're only we're so, we're 100% organic here at the Urban Farm. Well, yeah, all right, probably well, probably 95% because there's some things we can't get organic. <laughs> but if we have a choice, it's always organic. Even raising plants that might not be an organic starter or seed, but if they're raised organically without glyphosate and pesticides, I feel like that's kind of organic. <laughs> that might be my own interpretation. It helps uh, absolutely. I mean, I definitely prefer no GMO thing, but. You know, there's non-organic, non-certified organic that, if raised organically, in my book, is organic. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Something that I did after I was kind of up and running, there were a couple of girls down in Tucson, Allison and Catherine. And they, Allison Miller and Catherine Niddle, and they were doing something very similar. They had gotten enough volume to where they were doing a pallet of feed. And I said, hey, you guys... You guys are doing what I'm doing. Hey, we're on the same team. How's it going? And we started talking a little bit. And they asked, like, you know, how much volume are you doing? And and I wasn't quite to half a truckload. This was kind of early on, I guess. And so I said, how are you guys going? And and they were at a pallet, maybe two, I, I want to say. But they, they wanted to grow up but didn't really know how. And so I ended up teaming up with them. And we built a website called TucsonOrganicFeed.com. And, and they run all of Tucson. And for a while, we used the same truck. Uh, so the truck would come down, hit our three locations here in the valley, and then take the balance before we got to a full truckload down to Tucson. And so by us teaming up, we saved some money on the uh, drops. Mm-hmm. You know, So they saved money, and we kind of pooled together. And it was a mutualistic, a synergistic kind of use of each other. And then I helped them with the website a little bit. And, and so I, I feel proud. You know, It's not my baby. It's their baby for sure. But I feel like I was a catalyst for them to grow yeah. to the point where they're at. Tucson's obviously a smaller community than Phoenix, so they're not as big as us. But they are, are significantly larger than they were, and they bring that stuff to Tucson. You know, they're, they're killing it down. They're doing a good job. They're a little more hands-on than I am because their group is smaller. Yep. They have one location, so they're there all the time. And, you know, they're on first-name basis with everybody. A lot of people show up and go like, oh, my gosh, someone's here. I, I've never seen anyone here before. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm here every time. But, you know, so I, I'm proud of, of having helped them. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to sprout, by the way, anyone listening interested in this, I would love to sprout up new locations all over. You know, cool. the Western United States is very easy for me. I've shipped as far as Boston and Florida, but usually that doesn't make sense. You probably should source your feeds Closer. Vermont. There's some yeah. there. I think there's one in Tennessee. 
but it doesn't make sense for them to ship all the way to Arizona. Perfect. Anyway, yeah, I'd love to help anyone. And I think it'd be a great success if we made these feeds available to a little more of the common man, meaning it's it's not as cheap as, you know, conventional feed, but it's cheap enough to where your average Joe can, can take part. I, right. I, I guess I'd like to democratize <laughs> democratize organic feed for the people or something. I don't know. It sounds like a big thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I feel great about that. Nice. And that's TucsonOrganicFeed.com. Yeah. I'm on their website. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. What drives you? What drives me? I guess health in this arena, health and, and health of the people, I guess I, I consider a little bit of our current status quo of like, if you showed up and didn't do any research and you, followed the doctor's orders and you ate what was marketed to you and you didn't apply any mental discretion, <laughs> you would end up being very, very sick, in my opinion, due to <laughs> pesticides, right. due to McDonald's and all these things that maybe the typical Americans is kind of there. Most people seem to wake up after they have a major health crisis and go, oh my gosh, yes. I can't eat at McDonald's every day. I need to eat better. <laughs> and they, you know, unfortunately it, tends to go that way. I, I was lucky enough to, I don't know, somehow get a hold of certain books. So I, I guess to me, a major component of healthy living and, and a healthy population in my community and in the whole world, geez, I want everyone to be healthy, but a major component is, is eating healthy. I think it's probably the major factor. Hippocrates said, you know, let your medicine be your food and your food be your medicine. And, and so I take that into account. And as you study nutrition and you learn like certain enzymes and certain fruits do amazing miracles in your body, you know, I, I want to hoist that and take advantage of that. So, you know, there's flaxseed in the feed. So now the chickens are eating flax. Now I generally don't eat flax. I do sometimes, but you know, if I'm eating my eggs of my chickens eating flax and chickens are made to eat seeds and you know, exactly. Seeds and bugs. So, yeah. so I'm taking in flax. So I'm getting my omega-3s through my eggs in a sense, right? I mean, I don't stop there, but I guess so if we could make the world a healthier place, I, I'd say that is kind of what drives me is, is being able to offer these foods to people who care and notice the difference. Most people, the majority of the people are still eating McDonald's and drinking Starbucks three times a day or something like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of repercussions from that and usually that's a long time down the road before yeah and we're gonna adrenal fatigue catches up or something. yeah we're gonna actually touch on that in your book what book do you have for us well and i guess yeah it does kind of lead in the the book that's kind of maybe the bedrock of my understanding of our system meaning being human in america and and we have this medical association this medical industry that exists what helped me to really understand that was a book called World Without Cancer. An older book, Ed Griffiths, I believe, wrote it. I think he died recently. Excellent researcher, probably the most thorough book. And it goes in the historical hows and whys and wheres that, that certain cancer aspects are maybe suppressed. You know, someone finds something useful, some doctor finds, for example, that book is mostly about apricot kernels and there's a, oh, yes. an ingredient but apricot kernels you've heard is like illegal, right? I don't know if you were, or that they're poisonous. There's apricot kernels, kernels are poisonous because there's, what is it? Cyanide. Cyanide in them. In them yeah. and, but cyanide is, is in them, but cyanide is attached to another molecule. So that cyanide remains inert. It doesn't come apart. And if you don't have any cancer in your body, 
that molecule, which is called laetrile or also a nitrilicide, sometimes known as vitamin B17, mm-hmm. comes into your mouth and you ingest it and it goes through your body. And it doesn't come into contact with a very specific enzyme, an enzyme which is present at cancer cells or fibroblast activity, then it leaves your body through your kidneys, urine, or or feces, right? So no big deal. But if it does come into contact with that cancerous activity, well, then that it releases the cyanide. The enzyme at cancer unlocks this nitrilicide, you know, molecule and and leaves cyanide right there. It kills cancer. It literally wow. releases cyanide at cancer sites. And so it's the perfect, it's nature's perfect policeman for your body. So if you're taking those things, now the apricot kernels are, have the most amount of laetrile in them mm-hmm. of any nut or seed, but they're also found in apple seeds, they're found in alfalfa, in garlic, in macadamia nuts, in almonds, many, many nuts. And wow. I mean, there's, you can just Google this, there's a long list. It's foods we all eat all the time, but if you have cancer, it's kind of important, you know, that you get that in your system. So in my opinion, but this, this book goes into some of that and some of like why that was pushed away, how it was pushed away by the FDA and how even one company tried to patent that and make a drug out of it. And then they denied. There's a lot of like crazy things. Welcome to our medical world. Yeah. So in what's the second, the first half of the book is about, you know, that kind of aspect. And the second, more more cancer specific, the second half of the book is like, so wait, if you believe that this is actually a cure, and this guy definitely does, he's like, so why is it that the medical establishment wouldn't want to cure cancer? And because and it, it is puzzling, right? Here we have our, our government made for the people, by the people, and creates these industries that are kind of like, seem like they're governed. There's the American Medical Association, and, and there's laws, you have to be licensed to practice medicine and all these things. So theoretically, this should all be for our health. And and on the surface, it does look like that. But over time, this book explains like how in the 30s, certain things happened and the American Medical Association went broke. And so some rich people came in and funded it and and realigned what medicine would be. You know, it's crazy. But anyway, I love that book. Maybe there's too much about a book. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Eat well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because there's so many books out there. One book will say, don't eat meat. One book will say, eat meat. One book will say, bone broth. One will say, you need to be vegan, raw, vegan. You know, there's yeah. so many things. And I guess I've, I believe in many of them, how I, I look at it is I kind of try on a lot of things as, as you read these books and things, but ultimately what I've, what I've rested on is that enzymes, meaning un, denatured enzymes, undenatured, I guess is what I mean to say, an enzyme is a protein that's alive, right? So proteins do things. So every metabolic process in your body or any human body or any body is an enzymatic process. Digestion is your stomach acids locking on to certain molecules and unlocking them so that the nutrients can be absorbed into your body. Your immune system is your white blood cells. Enzymatic are enzymatically attacking pathogens in your bloodstream, all these things. So everything is an enzyme. And so with this as a general knowledge, by taking in enzymes, meaning living proteins, as opposed to taking, uh, for example, spinach, 
and eating it raw, you get a protein made by a plant in the sunshine. And now when you digest that, that protein is available and can do a lot more things than just be a dead carcass of an enzyme that your body will and can utilize. There's vitamins and nutrients, and it, it takes those in, the minerals and things, and incorporates them into your cell wall structures and all those things. But I believe having a little bit of raw or enzymes, present alive enzymes, helps with the overall health of your whole organism. Since you are a giant compilation of enzymes, you're just a giant enzymatic process. You know, your thoughts, even your neurons firing, you know, like serotonin going across the, you know, all those things. Yeah. Everything is enzymatic. So, so I, I believe in like replenishing enzymes in your body. And that's, of course, it's your standard stuff. That means leafy greens. I, when I eat sushi, it's raw fish. I kind of like it. I pat myself on the back because it's raw meat that I still believe is pretty good. Of course, there's parasite warnings and things like that. And I'm flying in the face of those, but I, so there's just a lot of things. When I cook my eggs, I, I cook them. They're a little bit wet when I'm done. I don't. But I, these are from my chickens that I fed organic, you yeah. know, and all these things. So I, I really believe in this stuff. So one of the things that I've noticed in our conversation here, we've known each other, what, five, six, seven years? I'd say at least. Yeah, at least. And I've never known the depth of what you know about this stuff. And I'm really impressed. A virtual high five for you, man. Good job. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It can be a religion, like if, if you <laughs> right? can't talk about it unless someone asks, right? Yeah, exactly. Then they're like, "Oh my gosh, this guy thinks that yeah, <laughs> he thinks everyone's out to get him, and food's dangerous." And nah, we just have to be conscious about that. That's really what it's about. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us on the show today, Scott. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. How can our listeners get a hold of you? My website is the easiest because I'm a one man show, and there's a lot of things. So the website is Phoenix, that's P-H-O-E-N-I-X, organic, O-R-G-A-N-I-C, feed, F-E-E-D dot com is organic, P-H-X at gmail.com. That's the best way. Perfect. To get a hold. And, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I can answer questions and things like that. Awesome. So. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Scott Brown. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.